You're listening to Real Talk for Real Men, episode number 26. Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. Well, hello, men, and welcome back to another episode of Real Talk for Real Men. I'm Guy Mullen, and... And I'm Chris Field. Great to be with you again. And it's good to have you back with us for another episode. Today, I'd like to turn the tables. I think the last time we got together, uh, Guy decided he was going to pick on me and ask me to discuss something that was on my mind, and I figured that wasn't terribly fair. So I've turned the tables on him, and I want to pick Guy's brain today on something I think our listeners are going to find really helpful. So I hope you don't mind. Well, yeah, I want to talk about personal vision. Mm -hmm. So what is personal vision? Well, I, I really like a a definition that a guy called Andy Stanley has, and I want to get him on the show one time. Uh, and uh, and so you have to hold me to that to, to get him on here because he's got a very good book, Visionary. And what he has written about, about vision and personal vision making in that book, uh, you'll probably recognize because it's something I've been reading reading about lately. But one of the definitions he has for vision is for not just something that could be, but it's a mental picture of what something that should be. Not just what could be, what could but be what, what should, should be. be. Now, let me just and, and we're expanding on that now. Why it should be done now. No, no, no. I've got to interrupt you because you're a man of vision. I mean, this whole program was your vision over time mm-hmm. and you worked away. So why do you need to know anything more about vision when you are already a visionary person yourself? <laughs> because I want to I want to understand the, the visions that I have for my life and for my family and where God is taking me in my life. So as you investigate vision, is there really stuff you didn't already know? Absolutely, because I want to know, am I just having my own thoughts about what I want to do? Am I just being driven by selfish ambition? Or is it by by thoughts and desires that the Lord is placing in my heart? So basically, some of our listeners could be people full of vision and not one of those visions are ones that should be pursued, possibly. Hmm. So it's not just a matter about being visionary. It's a matter about somehow having to filter the visions. Well, yes, and and you know, and that's the journey. And when we start as a as a young man, you know, what's the first vision you can remember having for yourself? I probably own my own car. I don't know. Now it's a long time ago. Well, probably my first vision is I wanted to be a professional football player like my idol Kenny Dalglish. Ah, but. That vision wasn't strong enough for me because I wasn't prepared to pay the price. I wasn't prepared no. to spend the time. Yeah, I liked going out playing playing football, playing soccer, but I wasn't prepared to put in what was necessary in order to make that vision fulfilled. It probably was true that I, I certainly didn't have the ability any either. But there's certainly a lot of people who have become professional football players who had average ability if they were prepared to pay the cost of making their vision become a reality. So I can see you're making a connection here between any old vision and a vision that you're actually prepared to drive or carry. Yeah. Is that right? So, and for me, I mean, as it turns out, of course, that that vision was something which I had for myself, my own life, that wasn't actually something that that God had placed in my heart. And then subsequently, I I had other visions for my life. So when I was finishing university or when I was in university I had a a vision for one day being a father for getting married for being a father and I had a vision for one day having my not just my grandchildren but one day having my great-grandchildren on my knee. Uh, You're not old enough yet man. I'm not old enough for that I'm not even a grandfather yet 
But that's the vision that it was yep. strange to have as a 21-year-old. Mm-hmm. It was a strange sort of vision to have. But that's something which was became important to me to become a husband, to become a, a family man, to, to, to start building a legacy and to have a legacy that, that I would that be pleased of. That's pleased more with. a godly vision. That was more of a godly vision that I had. Then I had another vision. I, once I started work, this was sort of back in around about 90, it was about 94-ish. Uh, I had a vision of earning a certain amount of money by the time I was 30. And, uh, you know, when I left university, you start, I started on sort of 30,000, which was not a bad sum of money for back then, about 1994. And I had a vision that by the time I was 30, I wanted to be earning $100,000 a year. Now, it's not a large sum of money by today's terms. Back in those but, days, that but, was... But that, but that day, but back then... So many years ago. But, but, yeah. <laughs> but back then, it was, you know, it's not exorbitant. You know, a lot of people now have a vision of earning being a million dollars by the time they're 25 or something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wasn't trying to be greedy, but it was a vision that I had that I would set a marker for building my career and would measure my, my success of my career by. Did you actually work specifically to achieve that or did it just happen in the process of things? No, that was the, that was a vision that I had when just after I started work that I wanted to, that was driving my ambition and was guiding some of the decisions that I made, what jobs I applied for. And, and part of my dedication to my work was I wanted to have some aspect of, there was to, to be a yardstick of success that I would set for myself. And so, and so I had this mixture of some visions, which I guess you could say were, you know, which which were unusual, and I think must have been placed there by by God, and other ambitions which were probably more driven by selfish ambition. And so, one of the things that I've often grappled with over the years is how to recognise which of these ambitions are just being driven by myself and my own selfish ambitions versus which are the ones which which God has placed there. Have you come up with some kind of filtering mechanism yet? Or has Andy Stanley's book helped you kind of settle on something that you'd call a filtering mechanism? Yeah, well, I'm still working on that. And I'm not going to answer that in today's today's question, but in today's session. But one of the things that I've prayed many times over the last few years is for the Lord to remove, replace my selfish and human ambitions with, and my desires that I have in my heart with things which are, are dear to his heart. So to replace the things, those things which are just about me, replace them with things which his heart is actually concerned about. Well, he does give us the desires of our heart. Uh, yes, but I want the desires of my heart to be his heart. And those are the ones which he'll answer. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the, and, and if that happens, and when that happens, then there won't be any conflict. There won't be any sense of giving something up that I want. Because what I, what I get... I will be satisfied with because they will be the same desires as what he places there. Mm. So that's that's I guess uh, is an undercurrent is a is a goal which I have sitting there in the background, which I'm trying to use to guide some of the decisions that I make. And so I don't want to just be pursuing selfish ambitions because I know the end of those, I know the end of those won't be fruitful for me and for my family. Okay, so what are the particular driving ambitions that you would say you have now? Well, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll get to that in a okay. second. But and so, as I progress through my career, uh, you know, there, there are obviously stumbling blocks that came along. Uh, I, I was made redundant. I've been redundant, made redundant three times. Uh, and so, you know, you, you progress in a career and you do very well, 
and you start to think of yourself as being sort of slightly invulnerable. Excuse me, you think you start to see yourself as being important to the cause and that the vision can't really carry on without you. And then all of a sudden, you're not actually needed anymore. And that happened in my first job. I was I had a pretty important role, but then the whole environment changed. The project we were working on, the mar- I was working on building a new market for the electricity market. And then once the market was established, we were no longer needed anymore. And I was an offer to go to another job within the same company, but I didn't take that. I chose to take the redundancy and move off. And there came a sense of, wow, actually, I'm not indispensable. I am... Uh, this this company and the market and everything will carry on without me, and uh, and that was a little bit of a shock because I was pretty gung ho and pretty confident in my abilities. Pretty impressed with yourself. Pretty impressed with myself, and <laughs> and uh, I thought I was pretty important, and and that was that became a bit of a, a shock and a bit of a stumbling block. And then I came over to Australia I, a few years down the track. I accepted a job, come over work for an electricity company here in Australia, and once again. I started to establish myself, and it seemed like I had God's favor in my life. I was, uh, I was sort of uh, seen favorably by by my boss and his boss, and I was getting I was getting the best work to do, and I was, and I was uh, making a good impression. I was getting paid more and more every year, and getting good bonuses, and things were going very well. And then, when I, my boss changed, and all of a sudden. I started to not be the the favoured, well, the teacher's pet so much yep. anymore, and things started to change. And uh, and and while I was in the corporate world, my vision for things started to change as well because I started to recognise when you're working in the corporate world that I said this this vision that you know it was like a river. Being an employee in the in, in the corporate world for me was like being in a river, and if you're just going the same speed is the current then everything's hunky-dory everything's swell going great and but where's that river going that river is going to higher level management positions and when i looked ahead of the management positions that the people above me had i didn't like what i saw i didn't like the amount of time that they had to spend in work i didn't like the impact it was having on their families i didn't like the the rubbish that they had to deal with from their peers the politics uh and all that stuff that was going on and and so I started to see that, look, if I slow down and start to just stay in my job and be good at my job, I'm going to start running into people who are coming in behind me. Those who are working for me, they're going to start crashing into me and start to want my job. And if I move ahead too quickly, then I'm going to start treading on people's toes and I'm going to, and I'm going to be getting into that political fight. And I saw that where this corporate river was taking me wasn't somewhere where I wanted to go and I couldn't just stop and just stay and remain good at my job because eventually, because every year your expectation you get paid a little bit more. Eventually, consultants would come along. They'd look at all the structure of the of the division, and they'd look at it and they'd say, "Well, hang on, this guy who's doing this job is getting paid too much for this job. You can you can you can promote this guy underneath him. Get rid of him, promote him, and you you can save X amount on your opex budget." And which was obviously the goal of the consultants coming in periodically to save money on their opex budget. And so I recognised that the, there was no future in the corporate world for me, and so and so I began to get a vision. Well, I want to do the best part of my job. The best part of my job is doing analysis, developing strategy to then trade energy to then make make lots of money. That's what I enjoyed doing. That's what some others of us enjoyed doing, and we got a vision for 
finding some investors to go out and set up on our own and do the same things as what we were doing and to get a bigger slice, so slice of the pie. So here, was, so here was so here was here was a new vision. Yep. A new vision, and from there, that would then uh, that would then set us up for life. It would give us success. It would make us. Uh, you know, it give us fulfillment. It give us that adrenaline rush from continuing to do what we do. Plus, there'd be there'd be all the rewards that came with it. Mm-hmm. And so that was, I guess, I guess, a new vision. But it required. We talked about one of your other our other episode about fear. Mm-hmm. That required overcoming fear because when I was making that decision, I was just about to have my uh, seventh child you have to pause and count them in i have to think as as our seventh my just about to have my seventh child yep so we were there was she was due in about two months after i'd quit my job and i was also just buying a house at exactly the same time Mm. which i couldn't really afford and um and so the the so the fear was well if this could very easily just turn to custard very quickly I'm leaving an established job where I'm um, I'm earning pretty well set probably yeah almost two hundred thousand dollars a year I'm pretty mm-hmm. well set it's pretty cushy and and I can just keep doing what I'm doing and it's and it's all fine except for that I knew where that river was going and you eventually yeah. it would we would get pushed out on someone else's terms and we wanted to leave myself and a few others and to live on our own terms and so and so there was a fear that had to be overcome there but what what came up there was that the vision of what I wanted to do and myself and three colleagues that left with me the vision of what we wanted to do overcame that fear it was stronger than that fear of what might happen I realized okay if this all turns to custard and I've just bought a house I'm going to lose my house and what will happen? Well, I'll have to move back to New Zealand and we'll start again. But so I worked through what was the worst case scenario. And so that's one of the things with establishing a vision and thinking through what is the fear of this going wrong is to have a realistic expectation of what's the worst that can happen. And I was okay with the worst that can happen. It wasn't irrational. I wasn't thinking, okay, my life's going to completely end. I'm going to die if, uh, or I'm going to lose my marriage if, if, if this turns to custard, yeah, the consequences would be severe. I would lose a significant amount of money, but I'd be able to start again. But the upside was huge. The upside was starting your own business and having potential upside of doing something you really enjoy and get really rewarded for it, plus all the plus all the recognition that would come with that. And so the vision and the potential that was there was much better than the potential downside. And that was one of the keys for pursuing a vision. Okay. Now I noticed, and when we think about this, that uh, Moses transferred to Joshua a leadership role way mm. back in Joshua chapter one, mm. and he differentiated there something that struck me quite some time ago, and it's just resonating as you're talking about what you went through, because he says to um, to Joshua, you know, be be strong, be of good courage, meditate in the law that I've given you. And the, the end of that particular verse, and we're talking about verse 7 of Joshua chapter 1, is you will have good success. And it struck me some years ago that if there's good success, there must be bad success. Bad success. People who chase a vision, pursue it with all their energy, they get everything they're after, but at the expense of their marriage, or mm. at the expense of their health, or mm. at the expense of their family. Mm. And you can hardly, hardly call that good success. 
Mm. So part of this whole vision journey that you're talking about, particularly as relating to career, you were thinking about you know the, the sort of success that was actually going to be good success. Yeah, and you know, and most of us will think about well, we we'll chase that promotion, we'll chase those extra hours at work to be able to better provide for our family, to be able to pay off the house, be able to afford the car, and and so on. And so we can, and so many marriages end, so many marriages end with that sort of in mind. But I was doing this all for you. Yeah. But I was doing this all for you, and so. The thing we have to remember is that we cannot sacrifice those things which are actually more important, but less sexy, if you like. The long-term rewards of a family and a marriage, the longer-term benefits, whereas pursuing the job and the, you know, the next promotion and those are those are provide you with some very short-term rewards, which are much more. The short-term rewards are drive us and motivate us much more. But we've got to remember when we're pursuing a vision that we're not sacrificing something which is actually more important in order to achieve that vision. So I hear you almost talking about layers of vision, like a vision for work and income overlaid over a vision for family and longer term, and maybe a vision for your ongoing impact in the world in the longer term. Almost like it seems in my way of thinking like several streams of vision kind of interweaving. Yeah, somehow. yeah. And, it, and I think we need to go back and think about, well, what needs to sit underneath your vision? So what is going to drive the visions that you come up with? You mean like an undergirding vision? The one that yeah, underlies. what is going to... So when you come up with a vision, what sits underneath that that's going to drive those, thought, those thoughts? Well, underneath that, underneath that vision, you're going to have things like... You're going to have things like what are your what are your values? So okay. what are your what are your core values? So your core values are going to impact what vision you come up with. So my, one of my visions is one of my values is family. Value mm. was very important to me, and I had that vision back when I was a 20 year old that uh, of of one day having my great grandchildren sitting on my knee, and of course, and marriage was interwoven in that as well. I married my childhood sweetheart. We've talked about that. In other episodes that we've we had a 20 21 year courtship <laughs> so we knew each other since we were one year old and and so there's there was a family value which i wasn't which underpinned my value mm-hmm. my, my vision so i wasn't prepared to 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 go against that so, value in order to drive a vision i wasn't going to come up with a vision which wasn't against which wasn't in line with my values whose vision was all the money I can get as fast as I can get it, and that was their bottom line value yeah. system, would come up with entirely different visions to the ones you would because their value system would be different. Yeah, well, more down to the point, they would be prepared to sacrifice some other things in pursuit of that vision. Right. So there can come a point where you've got to give up that vision because there are other things that are more important, and that's what happened to me. And so and underneath that, underneath that value it then has your core beliefs. What are your core beliefs? So as a Christian man... So I have some some core beliefs. One of those is that that uh, that I'm answerable to God. That I'm a child of His. He's paid a price for me, and so He is the one who dictates what happens in my life, good and bad. Right. Right. And and uh, one thing that Norm Wakefield says is that lo- love is doing the best that it can do. So in my life. Mm-hmm. So when things don't turn out the way I want, my vision isn't turning out the way I expect. Well. There's not just, it's not just something that God is allowing to happen, but it's actually part of his plan because he has got a grander plan, a grander vision than what I've got. 
So he knows you'll get more good out of things not going exactly the way you want than if, if everything went exactly the way you wanted it. Yeah, and so for a lot of the time through when I was going through the corporate world, I I felt like a bit like a, a golden child in some respects. I couldn't do any wrong. I was it seemed like the the favour of the company and the favour of God was it was it was like having the Midas touch. And but and then it was quite a shock when you lose that. Mm. It's quite a shock when that disappears. There's a change of management, there's a change of ownership. Uh, or just it can be unexplained that Midas touch just disappears and it seems that you don't have that ability anymore and it can be quite unsettling you know and there's been times when I've, I've felt a bit like King Saul he had that Midas touch he was taller than everybody else yeah. and he had that strength and he had that kudos he had that he had that admiration of all his all his men he had the favor of God in his life becoming king and then all of a sudden it was gone and he didn't cope with that very well. No. He didn't cope with that very well at all. And I'm not going to go down that path in this conversation, but it felt a bit like that at times. But then, but, but then, uh, so anyway, we went through the trading business and we did very well. We had some very dark days. We had some very good days. And in fact, there was a, it was, it was a, exactly a year after we started that, um, it almost completely blew up. In fact, it should have. We had a guy working for us, one of the, my peer who had started, he was the same level with me in the corporate world. We'd sort of started this together and the two of guys underneath us had joined us. So the four of us had left to start this trading firm. We joined up with some US investors who were ex-Microsoft and AT&T guys who made a lot of money and had their own fund that were investing in us. But anyway, he had some he had some issues and he, he was a brilliant trader, the best in the market, but he also drank a lot of alcohol oh, okay. at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. And so this started to become a big problem. He started putting on positions we shouldn't have. We started selling options, which we shouldn't have been doing. And we got ourselves into a very big hole. And we started to chew into our operational funds in order to support our trading our trading operations. And I remember at that time, I was, I was at tears, in tears at home talking with my wife. And I knew that things were things were done. We were, we were, it was over. And... We were going to have to lose our house because I couldn't afford to go back to a corporate world and pay the mortgage that I had. This was a GFC had happened. I had some property investments which had turned to custard. I thought this is it. This is the vision. It's all ended. And the Lord intervened and and it came right. Wow. Well, it's a, it's a long story, but there was a sense of having to give up that vision. You can't. You've, yes, you want to pursue that vision, but you also need to hold it loosely as well. Right. There are some things which are more important than your vision. Mm-hmm. Your um, your moral authority is one of those. Mm-hmm. Keeping your integrity, keeping your your character, and not allowing that to be compromised. Making sure you don't negate your core beliefs and your values in the pursuit of that vision. You know, ironically, the guys who were investing in us, they had made a lot of money. They were. And they made enormous amount of money uh, through their previous investments and so on. But none of them, there was only one of them who had a, who, who was still with his wife and kids. Oh, right. Yeah. So they paid a price. They paid, they paid a huge price. I mean, they were pursuing this, this value, uh, this vision of success for their firm, but they were prepared to, to sacrifice some things to do it. And one of them, in fact, was, had an affair with one of the partners in the firm's girlfriend when he was over in China. Mm-hmm. And so you had this undercurrent of stuff going on, and uh, and so they prepared to prepared to sacrifice their core values. Maybe they didn't have them as values in order to pursue their vision. And then I sort of had that choice when things were coming to an end with 
with my trading business. I'm not going to talk about how that happened, but uh, we had to close down the firm and we were looking to start it, start it all again. But there was, but but things had come to a point where it was becoming to take too much of a toll on my family, mm-hmm. uh, and my family needed me to be around a lot more than what I could be so when I was, when I was trading. Under, underlying core value of you. Underlying core value. Mm-hmm. And so the vision of what I really wanted, to, what I previously wanted to do with the trading firm, I wanted to build it to a, to a, to a business which had sort of $100, $150 million of trading capital. And uh, I wanted to have it a certain size of, of employees and to have a certain size of market share. And these were visions that I had for the business. But... I had to let those go because because there was another vision which which needed to trump that, and, and I wasn't you, prepared to put those. You could see that the family would have suffered. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, when I started the trading, my wife and I made an agreement that I was going to be at the hands-on, detailed level that I was for five years. That was the commitment that I made. That, that five she years made. maximum. Five years maximum. Yep. And because I was commuting three hours a day, an hour and a half each way, and trying to trying to build a business and trade trade energy and the market and the weather dictated some long hours at times, and and of course, and I've got a large family and we we're homeschooling, and mm-hmm. so there were huge demands, and so that could only be sustained for a season, and if it could be made successful in that period of time, and I could start to step back and be able to move out of it and have a smaller role and be able to hand it over then that was what I was trying to do. But ultimately that didn't happen. And so it, and God intervened and, and I just had to let it go. So you're contrasting yourself here with those people who actually have a vision, but they get eaten by the vision. They get eaten by the vision, yep. And so the caution would be, one, make sure your vision is God's vision and not just your own indulgence. But two, even in living out the vision, don't let it violate your core values. Mm. And particularly, don't let it eat you up and take you away all the things. And it's really and it's hard because to pursue a vision, you've got to be bold, you've got to be unpopular, you've got to be radical, you've got to be, you've got to take extreme action. Because mm-hmm. if it was easy, everybody else would have done it. Right. So you have to you have to be driven, but you've got to know where the limits are. You've got to keep seeking God and work out where the limits of that vision is, mm-hmm. because otherwise it will eat you and will destroy the rest of your life. Many years ago, I was in your holy land, New Zealand, and I went to a place called Tupuki, a little town, and there was a road in Tupuki where about six or seven families lived, and they had taken a a tropical fruit called the Chinese gooseberry, and they had given it its own brand new name. They called it a kiwi fruit, (laughs) and they picked a particular variety of this kiwi fruit and sought to make it an international uh, popular fruit and as of course we all know we all eat that around the world these days Yep, they went through all hell and high water to be able to make that possible but when I visited Millionaire's Row in Tupuki and went in and inspected the uh, the sorting apparatus and the farms and did different things there many years ago uh, one of the people who'd worked in that industry right from the very beginning with these early families and helped to get it all happening he made the comment that just about every single one of those families had ended up in divorce and messes just completely. So even though they succeeded in, in material terms and succeeded in creating something that they envisaged making, kiwi fruit as an internationally recognized brand name and, and, and thing that people eat, 
um, it, the, the price they actually paid. And it wasn't that they weren't with, without money. They had money, they could travel the world, they could buy the new cars. But even that success was part of the corruption. Uh, they found that, that they didn't get the satisfaction and joy out of all of that that they wanted. They looked yep. for maybe extramarital relationships and other things that destroyed some of those families in the process. So this comes back to that comment about looking for good success, not just success at any price, mm. but a success that will actually do you good out of Joshua 1.7. Yeah. And and look, as we grow in our walk, as our spiritual maturity, as we learn from our experiences, then then this is, you know, this is not something that we have an answer to necessarily when we're young. It takes it takes time to as we walk with walk through our faith to uh, to learn where these boundaries are for ourselves. When the when the vision when the vision is strong enough, then we have a greater fear of regret than we do of failure. Mm-hmm. And that's what has pursued me in pursuit of my visions. Is I have a greater fear of regret than I do of failure. I hate failure, and I have a number of failures, but I don't want to be looking back and regretting not trying. But having listened to you for the last half hour, I'm, I think you're giving a schizophrenic message to our listeners, hmm. or at least Probably. two <laughs> opposing messages. Let me see what I can distill out of what you're saying. You would want men to have vision. Yes. Absolutely. You'd want them to have godly vision. In each part of our life. So in your vision in your in your business, vision in your family, vision in your personal life, vision in your in, in in your spiritual walk. But you wouldn't want them to be obsessive about those visions and allow the vision itself to destroy them. I want them to make sure that their vision is aligned up with their values and their core beliefs. So examine what your values are and examine what your core beliefs are, your your visions of each part of those those lives, part of the areas of your life, are they are they lined up with your values and with your core beliefs? So those listeners out there that are sitting here thinking, I haven't had a vision in my whole life, what have you got to say to them? <laughs> well, you probably have, but you've, you've probably squashed it. You'd want them to find that vision. I think you need to go back and listen to Chris's episode about fear. <laughs> because, because fear is one of the enemies of vision. Uh-huh. You know, what a, we can, it can just so easily squash. There are a lot of enemies of vision, and there's a lot of things that will squash vision at an early stage or a later stage. Fear is one of those. And, but as I talked about with that fear of regret, if you like, and maybe fear is not the right word, maybe it is, but the importance of the vision will overcome, overcome that fear. Uh, maybe it's other opportunities that jump up and distract you from that vision. Well, very easily they can do that. And I, I myself am one of those people. I love new ideas and I love, love to jump from thing to thing and don't like to finish things off. And so new opportunities can distract you from what's actually most important. And also criticism. You know, when we have an idea about what we want to do, a place we want to go, a vision that we have for our future, and by the very nature of it, it's full of holes because we haven't worked out how to do it yet. And in fact, a lot of the times, if it's a God-given vision, we're not supposed to work out how to do it. Yes, we have to plan and, and so on, but it's the Lord that actually makes the way possible. But the vision has a lot of holes, and so it's very, very easy for people to criticize. And so if we're susceptible to criticism, then we'll be squashed as soon as the first person comes along and says, well, you can't do that. You're not smart enough to do that. Well, you've failed before when you've tried some of these hair-brained ideas. What are you going to try that for? It'd be stupid. Go back, go back and 
So Do your job. to our listeners who don't feel they've got vision, you would want to encourage them to, before God, allow the visions that are there to mature and come to the fore so that they can live them. But those people out there that have, have had visions all their life and have just been out there doing all kinds of things, you'd be cautioning them to just make sure it's God's vision? Yeah, and usually we're somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. So usually we're some, somewhere in between. We've got some things where we thought, yeah, it, I had a, a vision for doing this, but I wasn't brave enough to pursue it. Or I, um, you know, I dabbled in a little bit, but I, but it wasn't didn't succeed straight away, so I gave it away. And And so... The visions that we get from God for our lives, they can sometimes they can be there a long time before He fulfills them. Uh, you know, for the deliverance of the people of Israel, that was a vision long time before it happened. So sometimes we can get a vision a long time before it is fulfilled, and it's very easy for it to be squashed in the meantime. At other times, it's just doesn't. It's not a vision that we that we believe enough in, that we have enough confidence in, that we. And these fear and the criticisms and other opportunities come in and just squash it. And it just fades into the background and uh, and we don't pursue it. So there are a lot of things where we've only just scratched the surface. Yeah. But most of us have visions that, can, that come into us, our ideas that we have. And, and not every idea we should act on, but we should go away and we should start investigating. Is this is this a vision which is, is in line with my core values my core beliefs and my core values this is something which is lined up with god's words done investigating is this a is this a, a vision which is actually possible mm-hmm. uh, don't matter about the actual the steps about how to get there yet is this actually something which which is could be dear to the heart of god is this and it doesn't have to be some religious vision either i mean the, the vision of starting a trading firm wasn't some religious vision but it was something that god used in my life and in my family's life, it was a secular vision. It doesn't have to be something religious. Mm. And I guess the last thing I hear you saying that's worth commenting before we close is um, really make sure you solidly hold your core values. Yeah, solidly hold your core, hold your core values. And if we're not holding those closely, then we could be tempted to compromise our values in order to pursue our vision we have to you've got to pursue a vision with as i said with boldness with determination but you don't, you don't want to take that too far where it sacrifices things down the track you're not going to want to really sacrifice important. yeah listen thanks for being very honest you've shared a fair bit of your journey there with us and we appreciate that i hope that the guys have really caught something of an inspiration about dusting out their vision and actually giving it another look and bringing it before god looking at what he's got for them So Mm. thanks for that. Mm. My pleasure. So we've enjoyed doing this recording for you today. We've got plenty more stuff coming up and some great interviewees. But thank you for being with us. We just trust that you enjoy these podcasts and pray that God will really bless you as we share that with you. Yeah, and uh, we'd love to have you over at the website and on Facebook. So check us out, leave a comment, let us know what's going on in your life. www.realmen247.org and we'll see you next time. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast at www.realmen247.org.